Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, my business partner, the wonderful, the swanky, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. Thank you. Did you like swanky? I did. I like that a lot. I don't know how honest or truthful it is, but it's the word that came to mind. <laughs> the swanky, the foppish, oh, the I dastardly. Shouldn't, I shouldn't have I, used I think that's the how S. these normally go. Sorry. It's the S in, in swanky <laughs> that I, I meant to get rid of. <laughs> so, Jason, I, I don't know if you were able to see it in my video, but I think the listeners may have heard it. Uh, in the recording, but I just uncorked, re-uncorked, I should say. <laughs> I, I knew I could smell something around here. <laughs> uh, I just uncorked my single-cast nation, Macmira, 13-year-old, 2008 distillate, uh, all 13 <laughs> years in virgin oak. I just did that just to drink to prepare us for the interview that we're going to be presenting to our listeners in just a bit. It was a it was a lovely description. It was an accurate description. It was only missing one word. Oh shit! What was it? What did I miss? Unreleased. Oh yes, it is. It is <laughs> unreleased. That's right. This MacMira, it has hit the states, but we haven't put it on sale yet. That is correct. We have not. Yeah, we're still a, as of the the drop date of this episode we're still about a couple of weeks away okay. about yeah, yeah. okay exactly 15 days away as this episode drops <laughs> so so listen part of the reason that that I poured this is i've got new things going going on in my life and i needed whiskey to talk about this um uh-huh. just recently my 15 year old turned 16 years old, and on the day she turned 16, she got her driver's permit, her learner's permit. Oi. Yeah, exactly. You need need drink for that. As a parent, are you allowed to drink in the passenger seat when your 16-year-old is learning to drive? Oh, I think think it's compulsory. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're meant to do it. Yeah, it's encouraged. If the police officer sees you not drinking, they pull you over and put a drink in your hand. I think that's how that works. Sir, this is not safe. Please take this flask. (laughs) Wow. I I thought I was seeing a few extra gray hairs uh, in the the hat and mop there. So, So here's the thing, and it's funny, right? So I had been... Hopefully no police are listening to this podcast, but I had been... (laughs) Especially not if they're on duty. Exactly. Uh, I'd been quietly teaching her to drive, right? Take, taking her in parking lots and then, and then driving around in, you know, uh, (laughs) like industrial parks on the weekends, right? When no one's working, there's no cars going through there. (laughs) So it's as safe as you're going to get. And then and then somewhat recently, we started doing a little road driving. Again, this is before her permit. I'm, I'm a terrible passenger on the best of days. You had me a person. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say person? I said passenger. Did I say person? Yeah. yeah you had, I'm a terrible 
Oh, passenger. Okay, I'll accept. Oh, that. I did. I didn't mean pa- I didn't mean passenger. So <laughs> no, you said passenger. Oh, I did. Oh, in my head, I I auto filled with person. Oh, right. Jokes are funny when they're explained. Yeah, yeah. Little little peek behind the curtain there. Now I, I get it all. Anyway, <laughs> and you know it's. As we're getting to stop signs, I'm like grabbing the oh shit uh, handle. I'm putting uh, my feet up on the dashboard. I'm, you know. Uh, uh. And then the other day, Haida took her out driving. <laughs> and she came home. She says, so mom took me out driving. Then this was the legal part. She legally had her permit. And she said, she wasn't grabbing the handle. Her legs weren't up on the dashboard. She wasn't clutching her pearls. Like none she of that. She only screamed once. <laughs> Please, Joshua, you yeah. have to tell Delma mm-hmm. that I have had the misfortune of spending many an hour driving you around, mostly Scotland, but occasionally yeah, in the yeah, US. Yeah. And you can t- let her know you are arguably the world's worst passenger. You scream, you do grab. Yeah. We've got we've got you on wax screaming. You do. You uh, do. Yeah. Just because I was overtaking a handful of cars, you know, on our way to Campbelltown. Semadonna. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I it's yeah, it's tough. It's tough being a driver in a car with you. So oh. which is funny because because Delma and I have have both been in the same number of car accidents and and your number I think is considerably higher than than mine and Delma's. Well, none of which were my not, fault. Not not pictured Jason <laughs> sipping his tea. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh you know, at the same time however, you didn't get your license until you were like 40 years old or something. How, how old were you when you got your license? I have far more as drive soon as time you, under my belt. As soon as you started that sentence, I was asking myself, <laughs> what number is he going to pull out of here to make it humorous? Uh, yes, I was 27. 27. When I got my driver's license in the United States, mm-hmm. and it, it's the first and only driver's license I've had, um, I was 17 when I I received a bunch of lessons for my 17th birthday. So oh, for okay. for listeners in the UK at 17 is when you you even start being a learner. Okay. So obviously here in the US you, you just need to be 13 uh, 13. <laughs> you need to be 16. <laughs> it feels start. like it, dude. It feels like it. No, 13 to own and operate a gun. Uh, to get uh, a gun. 15 yeah, yeah, and yeah. a half there to you get go. your your permit. Yeah, so when I was 13 I get I got my first AR uh no. Um I didn't get my license until I was 19. But still so so I had a good because I'm a year older than you. I've got about nine, nine and a half years on you. So, so I would say between nine and nine and nine and a half years from now, my, my guess is you're going to get into a number of accidents that will equal <laughs> the number of accidents I currently have up to 2022. I, I know the reason that you didn't get your driver's license until you were 19 is because you used to go around town like Marty McFly in the first Back to the Future movie. That's true. You were you were <laughs> gripping the fenders of police cars and making your way to school around the, the town square under yeah. the broken clock. I, Do you know I did that? Yeah. I, but I did that yeah, in you've the wintertime. Oh, I did tell you. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's no, why that's I'm saying true. it now. 
<laughs> you yeah. thought I was making a joke. It's true. All of it. <laughs> All of it, because it rhymes. <laughs> and so that's reason number one why I've poured, or actually reason number two why I've poured the McMira. Reason number three is my 13-year-old, soon-to-be 14-year-old, just played her first rock concert. Woo-woo. That's right. Tons of fun. Yep. Tons of fun. Yeah, so so it's a little it's it's a little nervousness around a new driver with excitement. With excitement. But also a little a little like ah one of my kids is playing playing music for people. I kinda I kinda like that. Nice one. She's digging that life. She is. She's been, you know, she had this little concert just this past Sunday and every day. Uh, she would go downstairs and she would practice, practice, practice. And when she got bored of practicing, she'd go on to, um, learning different songs, Radiohead songs and playing a little bits and bobs of other songs, which is, which is kind of cool. And yeah, she's, she's digging it. Nice one. When does she go on tour? When is she hitting the road? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have to be... That's when you have to be 14 in America to go on you tour with your band. So at, at 12, you get your first AR. At 13... 13, no, 13 is oh, first 13 AR. is the AR. At 14, you tour. At 15, yep. you OD on something. <laughs> right? Uh, hopefully ice cream. Yeah, you OD on ice cream. And then at 16, you get your license. And then at 18, you go to college. Nothing happens when you're so, 17. So wait a wait a wait a second here. So so you're busy saying in Connecticut you get your learner's permit at sixteen. At sixteen, yeah. Here in Virginia, so long as you pass the written test, you can get your learner's permit at fifteen and a half. You can't even take that test until you turn sixteen. There you go. We got yep. six months on you in Virginia. You do. Which, which also makes sense. You can get your first AR at 12 and a half in Virginia. Mm, mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, it all checks out. <laughs> that part about the driver's permit is true. <laughs> I really do mean that part. So, so, so there's a thing, right, for a, for a global audience that we're lucky to have with One Nation Under Whiskey. You know, here we are in Virginia, 15. Imagine being 15 and a half. Imagine yourself being 15 and a half and getting behind the wheel of a car. Just going out. Yes, your parent has to be there. You're not allowed to ride with your friends in the car. But you can be 15 and a half for Connecticut, 16 for Scotland, England, Wales. Some might say the UK. 17, unless it's changed in my absence. Right? Oh, gosh. Interesting. So, yeah, you know, while we have the 16-year-old, you know, number for for driving our drinking number is different we're at 21 is is scotland is the uk still at 16 for beer and wine and 18 18 for hard liquor or is it or is it 18 18 for going out by yourself yeah it's still with your mom and dad yeah it's 14 if you want to drink it certainly was 14 if you wanted to have wine with a meal the food is important okay it's 14 to have wine with a meal it certainly used to be. I don't know if that's changed. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, I, I started drinking at pints at 15 in in pubs with, with, your parents. with family. And you just have pints with your family at 15 years of age. 
Yeah. It's like it was, it was horrible. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you enjoyed it or not. The fact is you could legally have done no. that. No, you couldn't. No. Oh. Pints is not legal at 15. No, no matter who's buying. That's still 18. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So. Wine is with family at, at 14. Oh, that's interesting. Well, at a meal. Because yeah. wine has more alcohol in it than beer does. You get a smaller portion of it. Uh, you can dilute that down easier. It is my, my guessing. God knows what's happened, right? If you, if you told me the United Kingdom was going to remove itself from the European Union, I would not have imagined such a thing. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. To, be, to be out of the country for 20 plus years, who knows what's mm-hmm. happened to mm-hmm. drinking laws. But certainly, yeah, when I was that age, hundreds of years ago, um, yeah, you could get away with that. No, no, for, we're not bloody French, right? No 14-year-old in Scotland was drinking a glass of wine with dinner with their family. That oh. never happening, which is probably why it was on the books. Oh my gosh, I want I want a shirt that just says we're not bloody French. In oh, quotes, they've been Jason making Johnson. that shirt for a long time. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> yeah, Greg Swartz actually. So Greg Swartz and I were talking the other day and he started saying, look, he was telling me a story about one of his uncles. And that is and that started, is Greg from the Water of Life film, by the way, for our listeners' benefit. Sure, I didn't. I didn't want to give it a foie 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 edition, but you are correct. That is exactly who he is, yes. uh, and Super Bowl commercial Super director. Bowl. Yeah, there you go, uh, Greg Swartz. So, um, yeah, I was just talked to Greg the other day, and <laughs> <laughs> he's telling me this story about his uncle, and he starts telling me about this T-shirt, and he says, "I've looked for it in Scotland many times. I, I was just a young kid." But I remember it so well, oh and he he goes on and he, and he goes on to say, it was a haggis basher T-shirt, and I said, Greg, I owned the exact same T-shirt. I know exactly which T-shirt you're talking about. <laughs> it had like a like a ragged stereotypical Scottish Highlander, right? Mm-hmm. A la Willie. From The Simpsons. Groundskeeper yeah, Willie yeah, from yeah. The Simpsons, yeah, right? Yeah. Shaggy beard, shaggy hair, uh, wearing a, a t-shirt himself and in a kilt, of mm, course, mm-hmm. with a club, like a Captain Caveman club. <laughs> and he's, it's got him like mid-whack. You don't see any haggis, right? The the, the famed okay. animal, the yeah, haggis, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the shorter front legs and longer back legs for running up hills. Um <laughs> You don't see a haggis about to be annihilated, but you see this kind of almost like Yosemite Sam when he used to fire his guns mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he had that kind of motion to him, to his body. Yeah, That's a similar motion that the haggis basher was in. And I, I said to him, yeah, it would probably be in about 1980, 1982. Mm. I would have been six or eight. And he said... That's the exact time period that I got the T-shirt from my uncle. Wow. So, like, isn't it brilliant? Like, the whole time he's like, it's a T-shirt. I can't find it anywhere. I don't know if it's made anymore. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, I hope he says haggis basher. I hope he says haggis basher. And he said haggis basher. <laughs> when does that happen in life? Wow. So, and they haven't reprinted yeah, I was, it since, huh? 
to your knowledge. They haven't. Yeah. They haven't, right? To our knowledge, to mm-hmm. mine and Greg's, mm-hmm. he's gone looking for. I yeah. think about it often as well. It's just such a striking little T-shirt. So there you go. So I, to- I told him next time I see my mom, I'm going to go through um, the albums, which are up in the attic, and uh, and see if I can find any images of myself in it. I'm almost certain there are none mm. and going up into the attic fills me with dread so i'll probably never do it but it's out there it's out there in the world if anybody listening knows of a haggis basher t-shirt oh, please do let us know questions at one nation under whiskey.com no ian whiskey or info at singlecastnation.com and i will share that information with greg amazing amazing so so listen let's let's move beyond this Mm-hmm. And and let's prepare ourselves, and, and I have been preparing myself with sip after <laughs> sip of this McMira, uh, to have a conversation. Well, it's not our conversation. It's uh, our, our very own Jess, um, who's done her, her first, this is her first field interview. with Her first Ri- solo. Yeah, right. First with, solo uh, effort. With Richard from McMira. Indeed. Indeed. And so we, we started to... I think I mentioned this a, a couple of episodes ago, but back when we were getting excited about season six of the podcast, one of the things I was certainly excited about, and I know I know you chimed in too, was Jess getting to record some mm-hmm. straight up solo interviews. Yep. And we've now made it to, I don't know what today's episode is. What's today's episode? Sure. 12? Yes. 13? No. I don't know. 18? Sure. 36. Hut, hut, hike. <laughs> so, we have made it to episode 14 because we checked beforehand. Yes. We're knowledgeable. And <laughs> wink. And, and finally, finally in 14. Now, we only have 26 episodes per season. So we've made it to the second half mm-hmm. before we've queued up a solo Jess. However, earlier in the season, we did have uh, me and Jess talking with Ian McAllister yeah, at Glen Scotia. Indeed. So we, ha- we, ha- we have had a little bit of Jess on the interviewing side. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting to listen to, to, to a solo interview, right? Like Even when you and I separate and we're, we're in this stage, right? I uh, interviewed the author, uh, Karen Abbott, mm. alone. You interviewed... Yeah, Madhu. Madhu Khanna from Indri. Madhu Khanna. I was blanking on the second name. Mm. Madhu Khanna from Indri. And now we have Richard McKeend. McMira Area Sales Manager for UK South. I I dropped a note to Jess and said, what's what's the formal? Because obviously we needed it for today's masthead. Sure. But... What's the formal? You and I always guddle through what people do, right? Mm. Works for, is associated with, is known for. And so I I thought... cahoots with. (laughs) (laughs) Cahoots is very good. And and so given that that Jess went alone and we haven't spent a second uh, uh, talking to Richard here, I wanted us to be able to say area sales manager for UK South. <laughs> Macamira branch. Um, and the other thing I do want to say before we jump off into this interview is Richard 
long before we queued up an interview, long before we started talking Macmira casks for mm-hmm. Single Cask Nation. Mm-hmm. Long time listener I know. of the podcast. I, I love it. Uh, did nominate us uh, as a as a must listen in the unfiltered magazine uh, of the oh, SMWS, right, right. and so that was very kind of him to go to bat on behalf of us mm-hmm. as well. Thank so, you, Richard. So, getting him an episode, getting uh, a chat with Jess. Uh, obviously, uh, Jess has been instrumental uh, in the acquisition of the Macmira. As she talks about in the interview, Jess has been to the distillery. Mm-hmm. You and I have seen photographs and and pawed the screen saying, please, please, can we be there? Please. Uh-huh. But we don't get to go everywhere, Joshua. Nope. Nope. No matter how much we want to. So, well... Well, I think this interview is about to get us as close to McMira, at least in 2022, as we'll get. Maybe there's hope for 2023 in a McMira visit. Yeah, well, we always we always hope. Without hope, we have nothing, Joshua. I couldn't have said it better. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of One Nation Under Whiskey. I'm Jess, and today we are interviewing live from the other side of the pond. So I'm in Glasgow, but I am joined today by our friend Rich McKean from McMurray Distillery, who's actually down south in England. But for the purpose of this podcast, we're kind of, we're local, right? Something like that? <laughs> I think lo- in, in, the, in the scheme of the world and where everyone might be listening from, we're, we're about as pretty local, yeah. Yeah, sort of turn right from America and you've, you've hit us <laughs> both. Um, so we are here today to discuss all things Swedish whiskey, but especially with a focus on McMira, because we have got um, just about to drop. Um, our first release of McMira is going live in our Single Cast Nation online web sales shortly, um, at around about this time that our interview is going to drop. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to introduce to the nation and our podcast listeners um, a little bit about what we have done here, and I thought you were the best person to come and ask about it. So, hello, and thanks for joining me. Um, I want to, first of all, ask you to introduce yourself um, and what it is you do for Mac Mirror. Okay, brilliant, thank you. Well, it's absolute um, delight to be here. I'm honoured to even to be asked and considered. This is fantastic. I've been listening to the podcast for some time, so this is a, this is a huge deal for me, I will say. Um, yeah, so uh, Richard McKeon, Rich McKeon, um, I started with MacMira um, in February of 2020. Um, I've been, been working, trying to get a, a job in the whiskey industry for a couple of years up to that point, and um, finally managed to do it, and then three weeks later, lockdown kicked in, and uh, <laughs> I spent a year doing virtual tastings and, and things like that. Um, yeah, so I started as a brand ambassador two and a half years ago. My title now is um, area sales manager for the UK, so I look after the, or for the UK south, so anything south of Nottingham I look after, but we've got a very small team in the UK, so we all we're all chipping in and doing different bits of, of, of stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. lots of ambassador work still and um, training and, and whatever else we go and do. So, um, yeah, I think that's so that's that's about as much of an, in a nutshell as I could do. 
<laughs> it's uh, we have very similar stories, you and I, because when I started for single castination, we then you know went not quite not quite as quickly as you did, but pretty hard into lockdown after. So both you and I, I feel we've done a great job traveling the world from our sofas and various <laughs> virtual <laughs> virtual events, which is I don't know a little bit frustrating. But travel's coming back now, so we'll we'll see we'll see. Maybe you and I land up in a. UK South, I love that description. <laughs> As if the UK has like a, a line, a hard line. Mentally, it does. As a proud Yorkshire woman, everything south of Yorkshire is the South. But I'm I'm so glad that you've more or less confirmed that with your division of the UK too. <laughs> well, we have we have something similar from where I am in in Reading, just out to the west of of, of London. Anything north of Watford is is everyone always says is the North. So. You know, these people in the middle have got no one fighting over them, and it's a shame because there's some wonderful places there. So. <laughs> classic no man's land but today we're um, we're gonna have a little look at sweden so you and i have got quite a, a i'm gonna say a little bit of responsibility in bringing mac Mira into the single castination family um it's not a very hidden secret that i have a lot of love for the nordics so i'm very excited to be the person who um added our first nordic whiskey to the collection um, and as we haven't really um, got a lot of experience with McMurray, especially in the US, um, we're going to have a little wander through. I thought you could maybe introduce McMurray, where it comes from. Um, I know there's a, a, a kind of nice opening story to this. And then we'll have a little look at some whiskey. How does that work? Sounds good to me. Yeah. Where, where would you like me to start? Let's go, let's go for the beginning. I love a beginning story. So take us from the beginning of McMurray, because it's sort of almost the beginning of Swedish whiskey, isn't it? I th- um, just about, I think it is, yeah. So um, uh, production began in 1999, um, but the idea was 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 formed. Well, the, the founders came about with the idea in 1998. Um, we've got eight founding members, uh, all been friends at university in in, uh, in Stockholm and studying um, various disciplines of, of engineering and, and to keep in contact and touch with one another after leaving. Uh, they would go on a, an annual skiing trip together. And, um, mm-hmm. and a, a good number of years into these trips that they had, um, one fateful year, everybody happened to bring along in 98 um, bottles of, of whiskey. Um, it was an unplanned thing, but everybody did it. And um, at some point, I always imagine, I was ever confirmed, but in a, 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 a tipsy or drunken um, uh, sauna, somebody said, you know, why is nobody making whiskey in Sweden? As you probably well know, actually, I know you spend a lot of time there, there's, there's a huge appetite and a, a massive amount of enthusiasm yeah. for, for whiskey in Sweden. And I believe if, if it's not the highest uh, number of whiskey clubs per capita, it's it's up there with the very highest of them. So there's a big, big demand for whiskey there, but no one would be making it. I believe there was a um, there was a short-lived distillery sometime in the 60s that was making a, yeah. a, a grain whiskey. And from what I've heard, I've never come across it or tried it. It was, um, you know, it was, it was a reason perhaps why it didn't last um, a great deal of time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, no one had, had attempted, attempted making it since. Um, everything was being imported in from, you know, mostly Scotland, I assume. And, um, yeah, so somebody said, you know, why is nobody making it? Let's do it. So they set about uh, going to do it. They... Um, went to the, the Swedish government and, and you know, started applying for things and, and, and licensing and, and, and permission to do it. Uh, buying alcohol in Sweden, if you're buying it by the bottle, is quite a difficult thing to do. You have to go to System Belag at the, um, the government monopoly stores and things. So they thought it was going to be a bit of an uphill um, battle or struggle to, to get a distillery off the ground, but the government thought it was such a fantastic idea that they sort of fast-tracked everything so it moved a bit more smoothly um, than it might have. Um, a few of them went over to Scotland to, to um, visit some distilleries because none of our founders were 
um, brewers, distillers, you know, they were they really they were just enthusiasts, and um, so I needed to go and learn how to make it. And uh, you know, a lot of people in the industry are very happy to to help and advise, and, and especially um, back then because there's probably fewer people going around asking for help at the time. Um, yeah. So yeah, so they had they had a bit of help there, um, and yeah, so December 1999, just in time to have established. 1999 on all of our marketing forevermore and always look that it's a bit older they managed to get the first um spirit off the still the uh the still that they they began using and used for the first few years was um a tiny little 100 litre handmade still that our, our founders um welded and built together themselves based on a a, a, a smaller scale down sort of a copy of something that they'd found at a swedish agricultural museum this big still that was there <laughs> And um, yeah, so this, this tiny little thing, and if um, if anybody you know, at home, if you give it a, a, a Google and have a look, this sort of clunky looking still that you can see on some of our, our logos and things here and there, you can see it. And um, yeah, so yeah, a 30 litre cup, so a tiny thing, so it would take six or seven uh, um, uh, runs to actually be able to fill a 200 litre cask. It took a long time to do anything. Um, yeah, so, so to 1999, there was uh, in a, a small pilot distillery and... Um, and then a series, one or two sort of garden sheds of the founders, basically, where they moved from one place to the next, I was assumed, because neighbours were complaining about the smell or the noise or whatever it might have been. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then 2002 moved uh, into the, the, the Brooks Distillery, um, which is where uh, the, the village of MacMira um, actually is. So it's not just a name that you know sounds scottish and it's it and that's why we chose it it's an actual place where one of the founders was from um so about what, an hour and a half perhaps two hours i think north of of stockholm um is a place called yavla which is where we're um distilling on the outskirts of now but then 15 minutes west of there is where matmira is this this beautiful little river island basically um with some stables yeah. and some lovely houses and things on and that was the that was where our, our first proper distillery um, uh, was set up, um, and then yeah. So from two thousand and two until 2011, 2012, that's where we distilled, and then um, we'd finished building and moved into what we call our uh, gravity distillery. So um, this big, yeah. you know, I'm always excited to talk about it. So I'm sure you know expand a bit more in a moment, perhaps. But yeah, thirty five meters tall, the world's first sort of purpose built uh, vertical distillery where. Production begins on the top floor, um, and then each floor on the way down is the next stage of the production process. Yeah. So, and it, it's interspersed with lots of cool bits of technology here and there to stop you know energy escaping and to, to, to recycle energy here. So it's not just gravity that's that's making it sort of uh, eco friendly and sustainable. Um, and that's where we're distilling now. And then um, we've got. I know we're going to touch. Uh, well, I hope we will on the various warehouses and stuff <laughs> that we've got. Um, we are. Yeah, we are. You're definitely. You're getting. So you're getting around, well ahead yeah. of me. I had lots of already. I'm doing a Joshua. I'm typing my notes because I um, <laughs> otherwise I lose my chain of thought really quickly. But yeah, um, I think we should. You've touched on a couple of things there. So the distillery in its original form and the current form are on the east coast of Sweden. Uh, like yes. you say, it's kind of two and a bit hours north of uh, Stockholm. You get to Yavla and then the distillery is a bit outside. Um, I was very lucky. I got to go and visit the Gravity Distillery last year. Um, I got shown by Frederick and it was a fantastic day out. But um, my journey to the distillery, I uh, was staying in Yavla. So I walked through the forest, which I can highly recommend to anybody who wants to go and make the pilgrimage as it is out there. It's a very lovely way. It feels like a very civilised way to start your morning with a little uh, walk out to the distillery where they've got a restaurant and they do um, uh, events in the evening. I had a fantastic lunch for those people who like to, you know, add 
food to their drink. Um, yeah, so that was, that's kind of where we're at. So we've arrived at, um, you can definitely, if you Google and have a look, the original uh, Brooks, uh, the, it's an old farm, isn't it? The, the original distillery is a very lovely, as you would imagine, kind of in a Swedish countryside building. And then we've gone something much more modern from 2011 on with the Gravity Distillery, which is something we have discussed in other podcasts. Um, because there's a distillery in Edinburgh that's being proposed with the the idea of gravity distilling. And Leith, we have also, yeah. yeah, we've yeah. discussed other distilleries too, utilising it. So I think it's very cool in my head. It sort of fits in with this very eco uh, lagom attitude of uh, especially the Swedes, I think, you know, to be able to utilise something. And I guess if you've got eight engineers as your founders, it doesn't surprise me that you're looking maybe slightly outside a traditional uh, distillery plan. For sure. And ahead of its time too, for you know, we're we're talking early days, even with kind of like the re- regeneration of the Scotch industry, you know, the smack mirror is kind of fitting in around the same time, this sort of reboom and shake up from the traditional images of whiskey. So that's one of the reasons I find the brand particularly interesting to watch. Um and the way that it kind of um constantly is evolving. You guys are always referencing, you know, this idea of being sort of simultaneously quintessentially Swedish, which is something we're definitely going to get to in a sec, um, as well as kind of progressive. And I think if anybody has looked at the picture of the Gravity Distillery, that definitely um, encapsulates progressive in my mind anyway. It's in the middle of this forest. For those of you who are listening to this podcast driving, when you are not driving or, you know, your hands are busy, uh, go away and have a look at the picture of this distillery because it's incredible. It's in the forest and then this huge building rises up out of the middle of it. It's, what, 30, do you say 35 metres tall? Yeah. Huge, huge, looks like a sort of spaceship has come down in the middle of a forest. It's, um, it's yeah, it's very, very cool to look at. Um, so perhaps we should introduce to our listeners, dear listeners, uh, what it is that uh, is doing because you're not, strictly following how we make whiskey here in Scotland there is definitely everything every corner has a little Swedish twist so uh I I think maybe we should kind of cover from the I was going to say from the ground up but that doesn't work in a gravity (laughs) distillery so maybe we should start at the top down uh just while we're flipping things up I don't know how that transposes to our Australian listeners. Is that still top (laughs) in uh, left right um so one of the things that I'm Uh, I like to talk about and our listeners always ask questions. I've got a whole stack of little things here that people have said to me. Oh, ask, ask this question, ask. Um, So we're looking at kind of um, ingredients that are all local. That's right, yeah. We've got um, natural water that's nearby. I remember Fred pointing it all out as we went around the distillery where things had come from. He's like leaning out the top of the tower being like, this is, you know, where the, the barleys are coming from here. We're drawing our water source here. Is that part of why the Gravity Distillery is where it is? Is because of sourcing materials? Um, uh, in, in in parts, yeah. I think that when we started, all of the barley came from within, you know, 40 or 50 miles. I think as we've scaled up, you know, all of the... The, the, the barley is all Swedish and it comes from only Swedish farms, but mm-hmm. it is a bit further afield now as well. But the um, the, the water would have, would have played a, a, a factor in it. So we're in, it's the same water source where we are now as where we were at the Brooks yeah. distillery. So I think from the, from the, uh, I'm sorry, any 
Swedes. Uh, pronunciations, by the way, I'll just say as a caveat that hopefully will run through for the rest of this um, interview. Some of my <laughs> some of my pronunciations are, are well practiced, and I, th- I think I'm not too bad at them. And others, I've never really had to say the words too often, so I'm going to say them how I say them, and, and just and hope that people can one day forgive me. But um, the 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 the, the Valbusen, um Hills or the Springs is where we get uh, our water from. So from it's the same same water source basically from from the Brooks Distillery to the Gravity Distillery. Okay, that's uh, also I'm definitely not uh, I'm not laying any claims to my pronunciations being any better. But you and I are going to do them convincingly, and therefore that makes us the authority on this. Um, yeah. <laughs> until I get chased with pitchforks out of Sweden for my uh, <clears throat> Duolingo does not teach you how to do um, Bali terms. It doesn't teach you how to do towns. So, for example, I know that some of the Bali comes from a town called Enshirping which I think is actually how you pronounce that. Yep. It's absolutely not how it looks written down. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> to all of our... Um, we should maybe do little pronunciation guides. We'll put those on the labels, like, you know, a little breakdown of phonetics of it. <laughs> but, um, I'll think about that. Um, one of the things that I found particularly interesting while we're talking about ingredients, um, anybody who has seen my Instagram although not recently, knows that I'm a pretty avid baker. I love baking. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about Magmira is you guys, the yeast, because we like to get down and nerdy in this podcast, podcast, um, the yeast that you guys use is Kronjist, which I think is how you say that. Um, that is the brand that is made in Sweden and is used more famously in my house for cinnamon buns uh, and cardamom buns and baking. And when I went to the distillery, Fred showed me the fridge where the yeast lives and it is genuinely still one kilo blocks of the same yeast I use in my kitchen right. that you guys are using for your whiskey, which I think is really interesting. Is there a, a reasoning behind that? Yeah, or do you just really like one kilo cinnamon buns? Uh, well, uh, uh, the, the, the size I couldn't speak to, but the, uh, the, the choice of yeast, is uh, there's a very simple answer to it and that, that is it. it's the only Swedish yeast that, uh, well, I think is the only Swedish yeast so when we, there might be a different one now that's perhaps come along in the last 20 years or so. But when we started in 99, you know, one of the, the three founding principles was Swedishness. They just, they didn't want to be uh, you know, just another sort of Scottish style whiskey that happened to be made in another mm-hmm. country. They wanted everything. Given that we were the first, they wanted to be as Swedish as possible. Not necessarily to set a precedent that others, you know, would have to follow. But, you know, first through the door, they wanted mm-hmm. to be as Swedish as they, they possibly could. And um, one of the ways of, of doing that, and there are there are various ways, but one of the key ways is, is and easy ways is making all of your ingredients um, only be Swedish. And uh, yeah. the only yeast they, they could choose from at the time was Kronjus mm-hmm. yeast. Um, and, uh, and, and so that was all, all they could choose basically so um and as it's a it's a baker's yeast it's used yeah for making sweet breads and pastries and things so when you make your cinnamon roll cinnamon buns um yeah that's the sort of thing that they would use it for um in sweden so i think it's it's two uses in sweden are making pastries and us making whiskey i'm, I'm not sure whiskey too yeah, yeah. I, to me this this sounds like a perfect marriage i have you know no complaints here um, it also means that when I write tasting notes of Swedish whiskey, but especially when I'm writing tasting notes for Macmira, I always get this kind of like really sweet yeasty uh, flavour that I think is prevalent in the actual whiskey itself. But I always sort of like check myself. Is it just because I'm thinking about seeing that fridge and I'm thinking about making cinnamon <laughs> buns? But I'm I'm convinced it is there. So we'll, we'll let the nation members and purchasers of the bottles uh, make their own decision. But um, I think that's quite funny. Um and also, as we're walking around the gravity distillery, I feel like maybe we're kind of doing it in my head. 
listeners i'm thinking about i'm at the top of the distillery i'm coming back down through looking at the equipment um and we are looking at this uh distillery the grain goes all the way to the top and then you Mm -hmm. start the process at the top and then i guess to save um transferring and energy i think it's really clever you just move it down through the floors right yeah, they're simple as that. So we've got two, two big forty-ton um, silos out the back, grain elevator in the middle, that that brings things up. So one one silo will be filled with uh, peated malt and uh, or, or peated, malted barley, and then the other will be what we call elegant, so unpeated. Um, yeah, so I think floors six and seven is where sort of cleaning and and sieving happens, uh, and then milling, uh, then mashing, all going down one floor at a time. Uh, mashing fermentation and distillation and then we've got stores in the bottom floor and uh and, and our lab for making things uh but yeah so we use we use gravity uh to to let things fall from one floor to the next or at least you know for the most part rather than using um uh you know energy and, and pumping things from one room to the next in a, a traditional horizontal fashion um yeah. so yeah so hence the name gravity to sitter, if anyone hadn't caught up with that yet um but yeah from one falling from one floor to the next i think and um there are there are a number of different distilleries around that, that have used and, and, and continue to use gravity in various parts of their process but this is the first one mm-hmm. that was that was sort of purpose-built to do that as the as one of the main you know aspects of the distillery and it's definitely interesting because you mentioned it there kind of um traditional distilleries we work you know left to right or we work through a series of different buildings which in a forest in theory you would definitely have floor space for so i guess that's part of the the eco values of conserving energy where you can go up rather than out uh, yeah. in terms yeah. of buildings it, it I, I think it's very clever um and so what about um equipment inside our uh, very spaceship uh gravity distillery do we have equipment that um our regular podcast listeners are going to recognize inside here yeah so so everything is is made you know we're making it's it's single malt whiskey the way it has to be made um you know we follow all the rules to that i know you mentioned at the beginning there's there's some things where we can do things a little bit differently and put sort of swedish twists on and that is the that is the case but um the 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 main functions that that have to be followed um and, and methods that have to be followed to make a single malt whiskey we we still do so it's you know very traditional looking things except but you know most of our stuff is sort of stainless steel so the fermentation tanks are um mash tun and everything um so yeah so they wouldn't you you'd if and we do do tours it's open to the public people can come and do tours whenever they please um as long as we're open that particular day um but yeah, anyone that wants to go over and have a look, no one would be looking around and going, oh, this looks, you know, very alien to me. It would look like a normal city, except you're going, you know, downstairs between each floor rather than <laughs> across or, yeah. Um, so it, would, it wouldn't look alien to anyone going in. Yeah, okay. I, I just wanted to clarify that in case, as we're talking about these kind of very futuristic, people are moving away from their idea of what a traditionally Scottish ah, yeah. distillery well, we do. would look like. We do have some futuristic things in there because you know, it is it's a very modern distillery and it was only built you know 10 11 years ago now and um our you know our founders being engineers they really wanted to have something that could be you know like as as, as much sort of technology in there as possible mm-hmm. but we've got where where you need somebody for example the spirit safe um and, and doing the cuts there's, there's 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 humans there there's people there doing that um but yeah if we've uh, we've got some parts where for the, the the mashing for example where obviously there's a lot of heat um uh, generated there and then and, and left over um that heat is is captured in a, a closed circuit water system that we have and then stored and, and can either go off to heat the offices or to, to you know perhaps be uh, um, help the stills heat up um yeah so we we capture heat 
that's generated in all sorts of different places and then store it in these big... So one of the things that people walking around the distillery on a tour would see would be these sort of like um, blue, almost sort of stand-up radiators around mm-hmm. sort of here and there, like three or four on here and, and two or three there. Those are the you know, the um, conversion uh, units, I guess, for, for you know, taking the heat and then storing it off in this, as I mentioned, this closed-circuit water thing system. Yeah, and the stills, are they... I'm just, you know, ticking mm. off my nerd spec sheet. Are these um, Scottish Forsyth stills or were they... Um... Yes. Yeah, very happy to say because um, Forsyth, <laughs> if you can say you've got Forsyth stills, it's all, it feels very good. Um, yeah, so we had Forsyth stills put in at the at the, the Brooks distillery, which and they are still there um, now. Um, incidentally, that, that distillery was, was mothballed in, in 2011 when we moved into the Gravity distillery and reopened in 2017 where we started making our, our gin there. Um, but yeah, so in the, in the Gravity distillery, two Forsyth side stills um that 10,000 litre wash and 8,000 litre spirit um but they are they're fired in a at a very uh I, oh, I, in a way that i've never seen before perhaps some people can can comment and, and, and let us know because i'd be certainly curious to see who else might be doing it but um we have a, sort of like a, a vacuum heating system i don't know the technical name for it um but we the <laughs> Um, liquid is taken out from inside of the, the still and then sort of run through and against some some pipes underneath that and then come back in. Um, because we're using uh, a, a vacuum system underneath, we can heat above boiling point without liquid boiling. So we're able to get to a very yeah. high temperature um, without sort of, without boiling and, 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 and sort of overcooking, you know, any of the liquid that we have inside, be it wash or spirit. Um, yeah, so there are, there are some things that, that would be, I might say, cutting edge, to sound, mm-hmm. you know, sound cool. Uh, that, that um, sounds, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, uh, but, Maybe but, we, but we could... it is copper, copper still. So you walk in and it is, yeah, it's copper pot stills. Yeah. As I said, it has to be for, you know, making a, a single malt. They actually stick out in comparison. Like we, you just said that the um, washbacks and stuff are all stainless steel. So you, you've got a kind of shiny, uh, again, I still think quite futuristic looking distiller inside. It was quite funny to get to the floor where distillation was happening and feel like this was definitely something I was, you know, back home with and I... Uh, felt very familiar seeing a pair of stills when I walked in the room and um, but there is no spirit safe in the conventional what I am used to seeing uh, form there's like two uh, glass domes that the yeah. spirits run through which I think is pretty cool um, and I think has been a question on your virtual uh, Mac Mirror in uh, like your quizzes occasionally because it's got the logo for Mac Mirror which we've come this far without discussing. Do you want right. to share what this logo that's on these little glass spirit safes? Yeah, so tell us what it is. I think uh, 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 you know if people have a little uh, Google of it and, and have a look at Mac Mirror um, logo, uh, we we hear quite a lot of like an armless person or uh, an upside down Glen Cairn glass. Um, actually, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's our our eight founding. <laughs> Members, all engineers, you know, there were no design students amongst them, I think. And, um, yeah, so this, uh, the logo, um, the logo, the logo represents, so from the Brooks distillery, we were first moved into our, our proper distillery. Um, it's a very old building. Uh, it used to be a, a mill and an ironworks and lots of other things. Um, and it has what, what is effectively a very old school cable tie to keep roofing joints together. So like a, a, a little loop, a little circular loop, and then a, uh, a, a sort of a, a leathery string 
if, basically would, would go through it. Um, for to the keep... listeners of the podcast, Rich is doing beautiful hand demonstrations. <laughs> this is great for an audio format. But to be honest, given that we regularly make you all guess what color the whiskey is, I am not stopping you. You keep, he's doing, I can see perfectly the McMira logo while you're doing this. You know, yeah, I, prob- I probably should have said, <laughs> pause it now and then and then Google it. And then you can, because uh, describing the logo is such a unique an odd thing. <laughs> um, but yes, it, what it is, 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 an, is an old school, cable tie you know but i think that is actually it's it's representative of of our um you know who our our, our founders and, and were really you know there's um it, it's not a fancy design it's not a, a, a it's, it's not a cutting edge thing here um it's just it's it's very much back to basics and um and you know a, a functional thing and that's what our founders were you know very much like, that way inclined but I like it. Um, I definitely think for those of you who are still not able to look this up, I think it looks like either a snowman who's had his uh, like stick arms removed or I like the <laughs> idea of an upside down Glen Cairn. That's, yeah, I've, I enjoy listening to what people's interpretations of the logo is. I think it's, it's, a, it's a fun game to play. So, well, we used yeah, to, we sorry. used to, we used to, um, so if I may just quick, we used to play um, uh, games of that when we were doing virtual shows during lockdown and things as well, which I think was what you're, you're remembering there. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and do it on tastings and stuff and see, you now if anyone can guess this, put, put it in the comments and we, you know, we'll send you a t shirt or something. And no one, no one ever guessed because who on earth could. Um, so we kept all the t shirts for ourselves. I think that's a testament to the fact that lockdown wasn't long enough. You guys didn't have enough infinite shows. Somebody would have got there eventually, I'm sure, in in an infinite level. Um, So um, we have obviously now distilled our spirit. So everything is kind of recognisable, give or take a little bit. We've got some lovely Swedish twists here. So we have Swedish yeast. We've got local barley. Um, I'm going to come back to Pete because I think that merits its own thought. Um, And so we're going to fill it into casks. So I think possibly outside of Sweden, maybe not so much, but within Sweden and um, the UK, uh, you're very well known for filling into a variety of casks, including Swedish oak, but also uh, predominantly very cute little 30 litre casks. Um, am I right in saying that's kind of how you guys maybe came to people's attention was these slightly smaller casks? I think so. Yeah, it, it, it happened very early for us. I mentioned um, earlier that you know with this this one hundred liter still, we took a thirty liter cut. Um, so it took a good number of, of distillations and runs to be able to actually fill a, a two hundred liter barrel up. So um, quite early on, we decided we would let's just make thirty liter casks. I'm sure that they probably existed somewhere before, but um, mm-hmm. from what I've, I've heard, our founders had never sort of come across them or seen them. So we started having those um, made to specification for us. Um, just so that we could just fill one cask um, at a time, and um, yeah, and 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 to this day, that's it's actually now become a huge part of our business. So um, in Sweden, especially uh, already, the um, reserve cask program that we have, where people can uh, choose, you know, what spirit type they like, what type of cask, and which warehouse they want to have it go into, and then fill it, put a plaque on there with their name, and um, and then have it, you know, bottled whenever they're they're, they're ready for it. It's and I think it has that that puts on. The map definitely in in Sweden for sure, which is you know probably the most important market for a Swedish distillery. Um, it's it's a huge part of the business there, and we, we do quite a lot of them in the UK and in places like Germany and things as well now. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's a massive part in in, in Sweden, um, and then things like Swedish oak. That was uh, when we started. We wanted um, it, we wanted everything to be as Swedish as possible, as I mentioned. Um, yeah. So all of the ingredients are Swedish: the barley, the yeast, the water. Uh, but they wanted to use 
just Swedish oak casks. That was the original idea. But they found out quite quickly that um, you know, Swedish oak is, is not very conducive to sort of, you know, long term or even medium term, perhaps, you know, maturation. Um, individual casks can be different, of course. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's such a powerful wood. And, um, you know, we, we leave it out now for, you know, two seasons to, um, to, to, to dry. So it's not put into a kiln. Um, to be ready, yeah. it's, it's it's left out in the elements, and even then, that you know, the rain still doesn't flush out all of the you know the heavy notes and the, the tannins and things to it. Um, so yeah, we 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 use it um, we use it in in a number of different expressions that we have, um, and lots of single casts and things of it. But um, you have to be you have to you have to keep an eye on it, um, and it's delicious. Yeah. It has some some wonderful and really unique properties, but. Um, yeah, they found out that really, if you you couldn't just have you know a warehouse full of it because it's, it's, it's you have to it takes quite a bit of management and uh, and, and care. Um, so yeah, so, so it's it's, it's um, a strongly powered oak. You're saying it's not necessarily like um, some other types of oak which are not very good. They're very porous, so they're not particularly good at keeping the whiskey in. The angels get in very right. easily. So it's it's a flavor profile. Is that what we're saying here with Swedish oak? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, so it's flavor. You know, it's 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 much this not much the same. But it's it's very similar to you know other European um, oaks in that it's got you know you know a lot more sort of spice and less sweetness than American oak might have. Again, there's you know there's there's a huge spectrum of of oak that is available in in, in Europe, but it's um it's that little bit darker and that little bit heavier than something from France, for example. Just given you know the, how how much more slowly it grows in the south parts of Sweden. Yeah. So uh, we've got Swedish oak and we've got some, do you, you touch there, you've got um, different types of wine casks and unusual spirits. McMahon is very well known for maybe some casks that we don't see, certainly, well, for real, we don't see here in Scotland, but um, I don't even think I've seen anybody else trying. So uh, could you maybe take us through some of the more unusual casks that you guys have yeah. used? Yeah, so that's so. So when you said earlier about how we can we can do other things that that uh, that people you know, for example, in Scotland might mm-hmm. not be able to do, um, we don't have the SWA, um, you know, or the the Scotch or the Swedish Whiskey Association. There's there's not one that exists. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, saying what um, which which casks we we can or can't use. So so within the realms of of good taste and and sense, you know, we can do just about um, anything afterwards. After you know, after we've 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 created our new make spirit, um, the way that it has to be made, we you know, sort of the gloves are off almost um, for cast we use. So, um, one of the other ways of of getting Swedishness into what we do, instead of just using Swedish ingredients, is using uh, traditional Swedish wine casks. So um, uh, Björksav, uh, Birchsap wine casks um, we use. Um, a, a very popular, uh, a Birchsap wine would be very popular in Sweden and the, the Nordic countries. Um, uh, Yacht wine, which is hunting wine, um, which is a, a mixture of, uh, of lingonberry and blueberry wine. Um, which is so, so hunting wine is something that in, in Sweden you, you take out to, you know, go you know, hunting in the woods. Or, or we had an expression that was Yaktlika, which is sort of happy hunting or hunting happiness where um you know you go out into the it was supposed to celebrate the last the last few weeks the waning weeks of the swedish summer where you could still go out and, and walk around the forest and, and look for whatever your happiness was be it painting a waterfall or, or foraging for berries or something not just stalking or, deer. Just, or just drinking yeah. whiskey in a forest or just drinking that makes me happy too That's yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, the yak yeah, so liquor hunting, is delicious that kind of it's like, really good yeah 
it's sweet without being too much like drinking liquid jam. I, I really enjoyed the kind of like the nice balance between the, the whiskey that I think uh, something we always talk about is when you have lots of different casks or finishes, you still want to be able to taste the whiskey that's in there. To me, a mm. successful whiskey has that nice balance between the whiskey and the wood interacting in a way that doesn't mean it's screaming one or the other. Um, and I, I really, we really enjoyed drinking the, the yak liquor. It disappeared pretty quickly here. So it was, yeah, nice and fruity. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more about um, just, just speaking, you know, as a whiskey fan, not a Macmira man now, but um, I, I want to be able to taste the spirit character. I want to be able to taste mm. the distillery in there. Otherwise, what's the, what's the point? And um, that Yak Lack Lika and, and Bjorksav that I mentioned then were part of our um, seasonal uh, range, which is come out twice a year um, and, and, and we're attuned to the, the prevailing season, you know, be it a summer, summery springtime one or a, a wintery one. And uh, the idea was that you would have the, the spirit character was supposed to be there present in all of them, but then showcased in, in slightly different ways with these weird and wonderful casks and things. So, so the, the, the vast majority of the whiskey we've got maturing away is in, you know, is in ex bourbon as it is, you know, for, for, for most uh, people out there. But we do have a huge number of, of, of I'll say it again, you know, weird and wonderful casks. So um, we've had uh, mulled wine. Obviously, you know, mulled wine is, you think, well, at least when I think about the, the Scandinavian countries, you know, this perpetual Christmas, it's Christmas all the time, I think. So, you know, <laughs> mulled wine is, you know, a, a big thing. So from uh, Saturnus, which is quite a, a, a well-liked um, Swedish mulled wine producer, um, I should mention as well that the Yacht um, liquor and um, uh, I'm trying to think of, of some of the other weird and wonderfuls, but we get them from a, 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 um, a, a local or not, a local local enough uh, sort of Swedish natural wine producer called Gnithatan. Uh, so we get the wines from them and then season our casks with them because most of these wines wouldn't often be put into casks. Yeah. So we, we take like that wine. wine. Traditionally not well, aged. Ex- exactly, yeah. So we get that mulled wine from Saturnus and then we season our own casks um, uh, with it um, to make you know something Swedish you know, at the end, so Swedish ingredients and then also some a Swedish twist on, on things um, at, the, at the tail end. Um, and then something that, that isn't Swedish, I suppose, in its origin, but um, in terms of, uh, of, of appetites, uh, green tea. So, you know, uh, uh, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, uh, you know, love a bit of tea. And, uh, and and yeah. green teas and things, there's, there's a big market for there as well. So we had um, one recently, and we do have some, single cast of it now still knocking around of um uh, grunt tea which was green tea um who we had uh, the, the expression that we released had four different green teas in there and green tea green tea is something obviously that never goes anywhere near a cask um so <laughs> no. uh, we uh we took we took four different green teas and to be able to saturate that and, and season that into you know our, our own casks um we we made a, a concoction of uh, we took uh, oloroso some Swedish um, neutral grain spirit made with Swedish grains and um, and then the, the green teas and individual and, and put that as a mixture together rather than just if you put the, 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 the green tea into just neutral spirit it would have just it would have decimated and or, you know yeah. and, and ruined it um, so yeah so instead of but instead of watering that that's that spirit down with water as probably would have been like the, the straightforward way of doing it we thought more flavour and more fun could be had by using Oloroso to do it. So we took those the green tea Oloroso concoctions, put that into our casks to season them, took that out and then put some, you know, our, our spirit in and um, and ended up with a really, really sort of peppery, green, apple sweetness. 
um, uh, some white pepper and stuff to it. I think the um, uh, the, the expression. It was just, it was really 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 beautiful whiskey. And that came out um, probably three weeks four weeks after I started. And one of the things I liked about MacMira before I joined the company was like the innovative side and doing things yeah. that that uh, I hadn't seen other companies do before and that they might have wanted to, but you know sort of a hamstrung somewhat to you know their their marketing being around and, and their brand being around tradition and, and heritage and things and I saw MacMira as these upstarts that were doing all sorts of different stuff and I thought it was really cool but then the green tea came out just after I started and I thought oh is this is that a step is that a step too far perhaps um, but then tried it and it was absolutely delicious so one of my first ever shifts were um uh, um, uh, sort of co-hosting a tasting at this bar in London, and um, we had five five of our whiskies come out, and then um, you know we brought out uh, little samples secretly of, of the green tea and said, you know, please don't share it and on social media or anything. But uh, what do we think of this? And then that was voted the favourite by I think about three quarters of the people in the room. So you know it must have been good. So then I, I felt- love any any tasting that I'm at where somebody brings something out and says, "Here's a little sneak preview," or "Please don't tell anybody you've had this." is my favourite. Ultimately, is going to be definitely the most interesting whiskey in the room. I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> about eighty percent of the time, as soon as you caveat it with the uh, "shh, don't tell anybody," that instantly ever you've got every single whiskey nerd in the room's attention. You know, poised to be mm. like, "This is a, a sneak into the future," which is always fun to do. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. This idea of having the freedom to explore uh, what the effect that Swedish flavors um, can impact in the spirit as it's maturing is pretty uh, pretty exciting. I think as a brand to. I imagine in your position to try, but also it's exciting for me as a consumer to see what you guys are going to come up with next. But you have, you've brought me to a very good point, which is about the maturation of these. So we've got our exciting casks. Um, MacMira have a variety of different warehouses all over the place, not just in Sweden. You have warehouses in France and Germany as well, I think. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah. the main, uh, maturation is done in the Bodus mine which I didn't get chance to see to uh, see when I was there in October because it's not quite where the distillery is um, but even the idea of maturing in a mine is pretty out there I think I know there are now a couple of other distilleries who are experimenting with mines um, there's Beaverost up in Norway who are aging in um, above the Arctic's line in NATO bunkers I think um, but I think the Bodus mine was originally a mine and then it grew mushrooms did I did I read that right? Got yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was there's, there's a few years in between some of the, the changes, but yeah, that is that is effectively right. Um, it was a, an old it was an iron ore mine in the 19th century, shut down for a time again, uh, then reopened up um, in the early part of the 20th century, shut down again, and um, and then I think in sometime in the the 70s, I think perhaps it was, it was then opened or the top left. So it's, it goes a good 450 meters deep. Um, wow. but we only use, we use, we're, we're 50 meters down where, where we are in all the rooms that we use. And, uh, it was those rooms that, uh, yeah, we're, we're growing mushrooms for Swedish supermarkets and things because we've got a good environment to do it. Um, yeah, so it has, it's been, it's been a couple of different things over the years. And then we moved in in 2005 or 2006. I think we went down there and started maturing stuff. Um, 
Yeah, these, these yeah, huge they're... cavernous rooms. It's a shame you didn't get to see, but you mm-hmm. know, come come out again and, and see us, and, and I'll make sure we, we can get something sorted out for you. But it is it is spectacular, and you you drive up to the side of this this mountain, this small mountain where um, the main entrance down into it is, and it's just this sort of James Bond esque villain's yeah. lair looking entrance, and really you know difficult to see from any other angle other than than dead on when you get up to it. And um, yeah, it's uh, I've I've but I've walked down and driven down into it, and it's it's a good. I don't know, ten or twelve minute walk down um, to to where the, the everything's maturing, um, and then a good fifteen twenty minute walk up. Um, it's a big steep, steep, steep <laughs> angle. Yeah, I definitely. Um, I've got like some sort of James Bond visage of it. You know, going to see it with all these casks definitely sounds like it should should be something out for a Bond movie. This kind of below surface storage. I've seen the pictures certainly make it look like an impressive place to keep your. Um, uh, keep your casks while they uh, slumber away, as we would say. Mm. Um, and it also, it's quite a unique um, place to have casks uh, maturing. If you're growing mushrooms, and that obviously must mean it's pretty moist and damp down there. Yes. Which anybody who's been in a, a warehouse in a distillery uh, will know that the climate in which we mature whiskey is very important because it makes a, a difference to the finished product, but it also makes a difference to those little angels who help themselves to our casks. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think you guys have definitely got one of the mo- more unique twists um, on the climate in the Bodus mine in particular. Do you want to explain? Because this is something that I have been asked about a lot. So people are tuning in to hear from the horse's mouth, as it were, the explanation as to why the Bodus mine prevent, uh, presents quite an interesting cask on when it's finally taken back out. Yes, yeah. So um, the in, the the environment down there is uh, is, is relatively consistent, or, or, or um, um, about as consistent as as any warehouse could could possibly be, really, because uh, you know no elements outside are really getting uh, to it. Um, temperature wise, in there's not huge fluctuations, so it, it, it tends to be. So I th- I, originally, I, think, I thought it was you know five to seven degrees, but I think it, it moves a bit wider than that, so we can go down as low as two sometimes, and up to sort of nine or ten. So not huge fluctuations in 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 temperature, um, uh, and 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 the effects that that can have on a cast. You know, if you're somewhere you know like in in Goa, for example, big yeah. or, or or you know in in the states, of course, in Kentucky, big big uh, big changes. Um, and atmospheric pressures and things that come with that as well. You know, we don't have as as, as great a, a great a deal of that in terms of range. Um, but the humidity, humidity is is probably plays one of the biggest factors in in angel share and and some of the stuff that that happens inside of the cast. So, um, humidity can be as high as ninety nine percent, and is often basically more often than not teetering around ninety eight, ninety nine percent. Um, wow. When you have something um, an atmosphere and you're maturing in an atmosphere as humid as that. Um, so different things happen to the the liquid um, in that cask in the cask that are in. Uh, so because of the amount of humidity in the air, the uh, the water content of the whiskey maturing in that cask doesn't really have any space to escape to because there's already so much in the air. Um, yeah. So we lose ABV a lot more quickly than we would angel share and and volume and content. Um, so our ABV comes down, uh, uh, do I want to say incredibly quickly, but it, it, uh, compared to um, any other distillery people to come across, and especially the easiest comparison to make would be to, to Scotland, because I think it's what you know most people are familiar with, perhaps obviously yeah. you know, Kentucky and things as well, I appreciate, but, um, and, and other parts of America. But uh, our, our humidity means that the ABV just comes 
rifling straight down. So instead of, you know, say an average 12-year-old in Scotland may well still be in the, well, it could be in the 60s, I suppose, but you would you would be surprised to see it lower than the the mid-high 50s at, at 12 years yeah. old. You know, it definitely, you know, anything lower than 56, 57, you, it would look like, oh, that's quite a load there's this been watered down is this natural car strength um yeah so ours, a, yeah. A, a 12 a 12 year old in a, a 200 liter barrel would be um you know it could, could be anywhere in the in the high 40s maybe low 50s but that would be quite a high thing so but yeah, you, yeah. and then if you're looking at um at, at virgin american oak or something like that where where things are a bit more active and stuff anyway then it's it's, it's an even you know a, a greater or slightly greater um uh, loss uh, again um, so it's, it's one of the, the odd things, I suppose, that, that people would see, you know, they might see a 12 year old single cask of ours and go, well, why is it? Is that, that's obviously been watered down, but no, it's natural car strength. And it's got the same level of, um, complexity. And I'm as a whiskey fan, I'm saying there's not just a, you know, mirror man, but, um, the same levels of complexity that you would expect to have from a, a higher ABV 12 year old from somewhere else and yeah. lots of flavors and balance and things still going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just it, it it reads odd, or at least it, I think it makes people curious. At least, yeah, it definitely think, yeah. does. And yeah. I think I think we are going to be asked about that with our two bottlings that we have done with you guys. Um, we uh, have one going for, our, as I mentioned at the top of the show, our online uh, membership in the US, um, and that has come from a new American oak, and that's the one that's about to be released, and that is uh, 12, 13 years old. And that naturally has come out of the cask at 47.4%. So that especially our US audience are much more used to seeing um, and are not afraid of. We've done a Ben Nevis that was in the high 60s. Um, Yeah, so we're used to seeing cask strength as as bottlers who run at cask strength. We're definitely used to seeing higher numbers than that 47. In fact, that's actually remarkably close to the kind of McMira bottling strength of Mm 46.1, which is very common. Um, which I have often wondered, why is it 46.1, not 46 or 47? Or is there a science behind it, or do you just like that number? Well, I think the, the 46, well, 40, 46%, and uh, lower than 46% ABV, you need to look at chill filtering something. Yeah. Or at least, at least a brand might consider. Um, oh, you can. Chill, yeah, chill, sure. yeah, you can, yeah. Um, but, so I think 46.1 meant that we can, all, all the expressions, I think, or 90, 95% of the, you know, the, the official releases that we put out mm-hmm. um, can be uh, ab- above that level. We don't have to chill filter. And so everything's natural colour. Um, I think we've had one expression in the past, a motorhead release that we did with, with Lemmy and the band came over and, and we did something special with them um, that had some colouring added to it, but that's because they were hell-bent on making it as dark as possible and it was it was that was virgin american oak with with oloroso finish and so it, was, it had some darkness to it already but um they wanted it that little bit darker um but yeah 46.1 means that we can have everything you know non-chill filtered and the um the, the appetite for whiskey in sweden is is probably similar to your your fan base and and, and your your customers in that people want it to be uninterfered with and um and, yeah. and as natural as possible and that's that's a, that's a huge thing for us yeah, it's um, it, that's something we talk about a little bit. But obviously, fans of the podcast know that single cast nation we don't chill filter and add color. So it's nice to also be working alongside with brands who have 
similar kind of mindsets as to us. So yeah, that that's that low ABV. So for a single cask to be coming out at 47.4, usually it means something unusual has happened during maturation or you've been incredibly unlucky <laughs> and had a bit of a greedy angel attacking your casks. Um, and as you mentioned, this one that we have bottled, uh, it was in a 200 litre cask. Uh, but inexplicably, we got 202 litres out of our cask, yeah. <laughs> so maybe the angels have given us some water back. Yeah, they've topped um, it up a little bit, yeah. <laughs> we obviously, I have to put a massive disclaimer in here, we have not topped the cask up. It's to do with, obviously, casks are all individually made, so there's always going to be a little give either way for 200, you know, maybe you get an odd litre here or there, one in and one out, you know, either side. So uh, the 202 litres that we got out of the cask was not for any um, diluting or topping up purposes, but it just made me laugh when you sent me the bottling reports. I was like, oh, this is going to be a talking point. We've got a low ABV, <laughs> but a high volume of liquid. This is going to be right up the street of single cast nation fans and Padcast listeners who are going to be excited to hear we've got a bit of a, a funky cask happening here. So... Yeah, and that's our new American oak that's going to the US. And then for our um, my our rest of the world markets, um, we've got an ex-bourbon 200-litre cask, which um, as the person who gets to pick which goes where, I got the spoils, so I got to pick what I wanted first. So the bourbon, I thought, was a great way to start my side of telling the Mark Mirror story. So that one we got. We got a more explainable 195 litres out of that cask. But that's <laughs> an incredible volume of liquid to be getting out of a cask after 12 or 13 years certainly not something i would expect our bottling hall here in scotland to be telling me when we're pulling out of you know scotch whiskies out of a cask so that's pretty cool i you know something of a point of difference and um, i should also at this point say that the two casks we have picked from mac mirror are the elegant style spirit but mac mirror make two styles of spirit so the elegant is um an unpeated and then we have rook which is uh swedish for smoke so that's a smoky whiskey um from a nation who are very famous for their love of peat right yes um but maybe we should talk a little bit about the peating because I know that's something I'm always interested in. Um, I am learning currently about peats around the world. I've been given samples from a very cool uh, distillery that's new to me and learning about peat that's native to them. So let's chat a little bit about Swedish peat. Um, and you've got a pretty unique process when it comes to peating the barley, right? Because that's done with Macmira, not with a maltster. No, yeah, we, we are, I think we're one of, I think it's fewer than 10, but I always hedge my best bets or, or, well, ten, or estimates ten, We'll there. call it 10. You I said think it's 10 fewer than 12, 10. yeah. So I'll say, we'll say, I think we're, we're, uh, we're one of an incredibly small number of distilleries in the world that, that malt and peat um, their own barley. So, uh, but, we're for our, but we only do that for our peated um, barley. One of the reasons for that, again, going back to you know, Swedishness and, uh, and trying to, you know, and, and giving people provenance and, and, and uh, understanding and knowledge that this is definitely from the place where it's from. Uh, when we started, uh, then I think even to this day, actually, there's nobody in Sweden um, or any monsters um, peating barley. And we knew because of the appetite for peated whiskey and, and smoky whiskey in, in Sweden that, we were definitely wanted to do do both, um, so they were in a bit of a, a, a pickle because you know they didn't want to import either you know uh, a peated barley from from overseas or, or whatever other mm-hmm. process they could do, so um, they decided they would have to do it themselves. So the um, the first ever batch that we did. Uh, we took so we get um, uh, the maltster we use for for everything else is Viking maltings down uh, near Gothenburg. So of on the course. yeah exactly yeah, on the <laughs> the west coast um, of uh, of Sweden, um, which is uh, quite a distance from from where we are. And our um, 
our, our malt got sent down there or our barley got sent down there and then uh, our founders went across um, with a, a couple of wheelbarrows and a big van and uh, and went up and down on these these, these elevators and, and came down with, with uh, wheelbarrows full of green malt to then be taken back to um, uh, the, the founder's house or one of the founder's houses sorry, to, uh, to then peat uh, our own stuff and uh, again if people you know can't do it immediately or perhaps but uh, if you have a look on our website and you'll be able to see the the original peating uh peating shed that we made it was like, almost like a a, a dog house or a duck kennel a, a dog kennel duck house whichever way around that works and um there's sort of a, a traditional pagoda looking roof on the top of it and um so we were making incredibly small amounts of it at the time um, mm-hmm. but uh, but they, they went to these lengths because they didn't want to import anything in from overseas whatsoever and they had no other option but to do it themselves so they had to then learn how to do it um, a, a very well-known distillery in Ida actually gave uh, gave a lot of uh, pointers and, and, and tips on, on how to do that in the in the early days um, but then they realised that you know we one of the other founding principles I mentioned the three were uh, one of the big Swedishes was innovation and sustainability and it's not a very yeah. sustainable way to, to peat your whiskey by driving back and forth across the country with, you know, some wheelbarrows full of, of malt to do it. So um, they decided that they would need to start malting barley as well themselves rather than ship it across to Viking, have it come back. Um, so then we built this this big uh, sort of rectangular cuboid um, bin to, to malt, you know, a couple of foot worth of, uh, of barley at the same time. Um, so they started doing that. But to make things even more and to use this word yet again you know Swedish and, and, and put Swedishness in there um, uh, we, we experimented with a few additional ingredients to peat so the peat that yeah. we use is is a Swedish peat it's from the, the Kadin Mursen uh, peat bogs which is about 40, 40 kilometres I think away from uh, uh, from the distillery um, one of the ingredients that we then ended up deciding to use was um, um, a dried juniper branches so no berries there's no gin anyway near any of this it is just juniper <laughs> juniper branches um, and, and the reason for the reason we even considered doing that sort of thing was you know again nobody was telling us that we what we could or couldn't do after we'd followed the the laws and the regulations you have to for making a single malt whiskey as I mentioned earlier, it, all bets were off basically after that. So within the realms of good taste and is it a good product and, you know, is it, is it something good that people would want to drink and our founders were happy with and they wanted to go ahead. Um, there are th- There's thousands and thousands of years of Scandinavian um, tradition and heritage of, of adding other ingredients to their fires when curing meat and fish for the long winter yeah. seasons to get, you know, different flavours into their food so they're not just eating the same dried meat, you know, and plain meat all the time. Um, and and Dry juniper branches was one of the things that they used, and um, and we found that it just worked really really well with you know what we were looking for and the flavours and the profiles that we wanted to end up with, as this sort mm-hmm. of very like resinous sort of nutty oily texture to it that it gives to the to the peat and to the smoke. Um, a friend of mine, somewhat poetically, I suppose, uh, when he first tried stenseruk, which is one of our core range expressions, he said, "Oh, like you know, a campfire in the rain." So it was, you know, like a smoky, like a sort of a wet smoke note to it, and I think that's um, that's the juniper branches. That's, that's a lovely, in, yeah. evocative note. There it is, isn't it? To, to yeah, it. I've always oh, given him credit for him that. Some, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get him on some uh, tasting note panels. Let's get him right in that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the other thing that's interesting when you're talking about sustainability, when we've got to our peat, because I know there's a lot of talk mm. at the moment about whether or not peat is a sustainable product to be using in the whiskey industry. Um, certainly I've seen a lot of 
uh, contentious arguments for and against. But the addition, this juniper that you're adding into it, um, you guys are not going out and savaging local juniper bushes and no. cutting them all down. They're a byproduct, are they not, that are brought to you by uh, the company who clear the power lines? Yeah, so... Did I read that right? Yeah, so if people haven't seen Sweden from above ever at all, you've got to, where the, the power lines run between these, these very rural areas, as, as you might be able to imagine, sort of quite sparsely populated, the northern parts of Sweden especially, um, the, the power lines need to run through huge swathes of forests, so... When they're built, you know, someone's gone through them and effectively made, you know, a dual carriageway or almost a motorway size clearing through the forests for these power lines to be able to run through and and not have trees leaning into them, and um, and every so often the power company needs to go and and uh, um, and cut down any anything that started to grow underneath and juniper branch juniper bushes and grows all over Sweden, so um, so yeah so so every so often or, or regularly um, they'll go and, and and chop these down and then you know come and, and drop them off to us as a, an offering and um, I'm sure they're well well looked after but yeah so so we're not going out and, and hacking hacking things down because you know we're uh, yeah it, it's, it's stuff that needs to come down anyway basically yeah. and yeah and then and it's gifted to us it's definitely definitely an interesting prospect I've um, never really heard of anybody who is adding uh, things into the peating I'd, I'm sure the listeners can write into uh, questions at one nation under whiskey with no e Com. I've uh, only ever heard of, of on one this. other. I've heard of one other. If you're interested to to, to know, oh yes, um, please. Yeah, um, um, uh, Storning, stowning of of Denmark. I believe that they add. Oh, Denmark. Yeah, they add heather oh, yeah. into theirs as well. So um, yeah, so they're they're doing their own, and that will be I I, I assume, or I think it, hopefully it's safe to assume that that'll be sort of, you know local heather to you know wherever their mm-hmm. their distillery and things is. So, but they're, they're, that's the, the, the we're the only two that I've ever heard of. Um, of doing it and I think for me it's a really interesting thing so you know I've got all sorts of whiskies on the shelf behind me and I like drinking lots of different stuff and trying different things and um, when when I first learned you know about Matt Mira Spencer Rook was one of the first ones I ever tried at a whiskey festival a year or two before I started and um, I just thought it was a fascinating and really like interesting thing and it's something different and it's something out there and and we're not we're not turning the game up on its head by doing anything this isn't you know crazy mad stuff that's happening Um, it's just something a little bit of different point of difference I think you used the phrase earlier and And, um, and I think that's exciting and I think as we look at McMurray I think our um, our nation members definitely will want to explore that kind of thing but you'll have to hold your horses we're starting with the elegant which is the traditionally unpeated um i i like the idea of a spirit being called elegant you know that sort of pleases me it's you know adds a bit of class to it um so that's our our two ones that i think i'm really excited to see go out into the wilds um and hit the shelves and like i say the first one will be our online release for the membership in the u.s or I always add a little tiny asterisk here, people who have access to a US address and a nice friend will sign for your parcels. Because <laughs> um, I get a lot of people complaining this time of the pond, being like, we want this bottling. So if you've got a nice friend in America, you should you know, keep looking after your nice friends. Uh, so yes, I think this has been really nice. I, I feel like we've painted a lovely picture of our, um, our first entry into Swedish whiskey. Um, I want to ask you though, um, we always, I'm, I'm putting my Jason hat on here. Um, I feel like I want to ask you what's got you excited for the future with Mac Mirror? What do you see? Where are we going next with some more crazy casks maybe uh, or experimentation? Um, well, so we've got... I to, feel like you guys have ticked all the big boxes. We've got a gravity distiller. We have underground mines to mature whiskey and we've got an incredible collection of casks for maturation. What's next in the 
Yeah, uh, Mystic Magnol. What is what is next? What is next? I mean, we've um, mentioned the seasonal range that we uh, we had. And I'm speaking yes. about in, in past tense there because the, the the last release came out in uh, spring summer, just gone. Um, and that's being replaced with with. Uh, hasn't been given a, a, a name per se yet the next range but uh, the next whiskey we've got coming out in a few weeks is going to be um, natural cast strength rather than 46.1% ABV so oh. that's actually that's quite exciting for me to be able to go and talk to people about because cast strength you guys every, your fan base is, is all cast strength cast strength cast strength or at least you know if you can get it it's good and uh, you know much the same for me so not having to talk about the ABV being lower perhaps and and and, and mm-hmm. more typical is, is going to be fun for for me to do that so it's still but even at natural cast strength it's 47.1 47.4 i think it is coming so up around about what we've you got know, here too ex, yeah yeah basically yeah exactly and uh, uh port cask uh, finish i was going to be which is uh mm. we've 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 had some really really good port cask whiskey um before and and, uh, and this one's going to be exactly the same i think i haven't tried it yet because it's uh, it's only just arrived in the country you've got to wait couple weeks for duty stamping and then i have a go but uh yeah i'm excited for that there's um and there's there's, there's talk afoot about doing something a, a new a new a new warehouse as well but um i think, oh. I think that one's that that might have to be the extent of, of what i can say i think for now <laughs> you're gonna leave us hanging with that yeah. it's gonna be a okay well, part I like two that, dot 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 yeah but um, come back later um yeah. Oh, that's that sounds very exciting, and it sounds like you guys will continue being innovative in the way you are presenting and working with your whiskies, which is something we always like to keep uh, keep an eye on. Well, if 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 I may, actually, there just just to give people a little something. Um, I mean, you know, yes, a, a new, new new warehouse <laughs> being being pondered or or, or, or planned. Um, one of the one of the existing warehouses that we have, because you mentioned we had some, you know, scattered around, is uh, yes, on a, a tiny little island uh, that makes up the archipelago that uh, that is Stockholm, and um, that we moved. I think that was the first satellite one that, that we that we um, acquired and moved into um, on a tiny little island called again. Um, Sorry, Swedes, but uh, but Fjordaholmena, Fjordaholmena, um, and that's uh, it, it's an no one lives on the island. It's got you know, a couple of boutiques and art and craft things and a brewery, a really really good little brewery. If anyone can get over to Stockholm, worth going to see. Uh, but on that island is this huge big rock that was hollowed out by the uh, the Swedish Navy some decades ago and used to store munitions, so things like torpedoes and stuff. And um, yeah, that's uh, the torpedoes are long gone, but the rails going down the middle are still there that they used to use to to move them up and down. And uh, we've got that as a, a warehouse now as well, where you can put 30 litre cars and, and whatever else might be in there. So, um, yeah. So mentioning warehouses and, 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 and teasing a bit, maybe I thought I'd, I'd mention this other, that's, that's one of the coolest ones that we've got. I think we've got one on a mountain, yeah, I, one on an Island and yeah, one, one under a mountain as well. If it's safe enough for munitions, I think it's definitely safe enough to be keeping whiskey. And that sounds like a, a it's safe a very, bet for your yeah. maturation. It's a very secure place. These big blast doors to get into it as well. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, huge, very secure spot. And you have to get there in a boat to start with. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. I think that's yeah. a, a great spot to keep deter maybe mischief makers um, that's <laughs> lovely thank you very much for going through um all things mac mirror with me i've had a great time i really hope that our listeners manage to get a hold of uh, one of our two or both casks and um, when they're released so keep an eye on all our usual um emails and socials for that um, but i think that really just leaves me to say thank you so much rich for your time today um and we look forward to maybe welcoming you back in the future as we grow our relationship with mac mirror yeah, uh, uh, absolutely delighted, as I mentioned earlier, to uh, 
to be here and thank you so much and I really appreciate it. Congratulations to Jess on her first solo interview. Indeed. That was very successful, very, very successful. And and what a lovely subject uh, Richard was there. Mm. Uh, I, I think a, a good person to have the first solo interview with. I do want to say I love the way that Jess was able to pull on her her time at the distillery mm. and her working knowledge of the distillery to tease out questions uh, with Richard there yeah. and was able to answer some questions we've encountered along the way. Um, you said way back in, in the very start of today's episode that we have the pre-release Macmira in front of us. And that's a Macmira single cask that was bottled at a cask strength of 47.4% alcohol. Yeah. And I love that that was able to be covered <laughs> in today's interview. Yeah. Right? The Bodice Mine got a little shout out there, which was absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and it was nice to hear about the two releases that we're doing with them, right? The the 2007, which is in our glass, that's the uh, the virgin oak one or new charred oak. And then there's the, sorry, that's the, our, the virgin oak is the 2008, I should say. The 2007 is the ex-bourbon cast. Now, that hasn't been bottled yet. And uh, But if I remember, when we first tasted that cask, similarly, it was a lower ABV. Um, yeah. Equally delicious for, for different reasons. But, you know, it's re- it was interesting. And I know we'll talk about this in a little bit. I, w- I kind of want to do a tasting of this cask with you for our listeners. I would love to. But I would so- love to. Someone had asked me, uh, you know, what what is it like? I've had McMira before, but I've never had McMira in, in New Chard Oak. Mm. And I had to rack my brain of, of examples I can I can give where... You know, because it's malt whiskey, but in new charred oak, it's got that bourbony kind of quality, but not that it's not overly sweet. It's not overly tannic. Not that bourbon always is, but it has the potential to be, uh, you know, in part because of the corn that has a different sweetness and, you know, um, deeper char levels, things like that. But it got me to thinking about what Glenn Murray has done over the years with some of their new charred oak and their virgin oak releases. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like the, the mountain oak series. And and I find this to be similar to those releases, which are some of my absolute favorite whiskeys from Glenn Murray. I, I just think malt whiskey and new charred oak can be wonderful. And when it is wonderful, it can't be anything other than wonderful. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm so happy with how this cask came out and, and that they would release it to us. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've, I've been excited about this since samples first appeared on our desk and we're very close to releasing it. <laughs> if you were listening to this before September 25th, 2022. <laughs>
So listen, uh, before we go on to the tasting of this Mira, I know which which again is is unreleased, and, and we'll talk about that maybe in the news section a little bit. There's a couple of other releases that are about to come out that I wanted to highlight in the news. So I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna ask you, Jason. It's been a while since we heard the Paper Boy's voice, and I kind of miss him. So I'm gonna bring him in. So, we've got two whiskeys coming out. September 8th, I want to say. Is that, do I have that correct? Yes. And these are U.S. The one time you don't make a declarative statement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me me answer you, Joshua. They are coming September 8th. There you go. September 8th. And these are U.S. exclusives. uh, Not just U.S. exclusives, but U.S. online exclusives. Indeed. And so we, maybe it was the last episode, maybe it was the episode before that. I can't remember, but we gave sort of a general overview. But we're going to hyper-focus in on these two. So we've got our nine-year-old Dal Ewing. See, before you hyper-focus. Okay, all right. Can I draw attention to some history and some present? Yes. He's like, what the hell is Jason talking about? I have no idea what's going to happen right now. Oh, I'll give a yes to that. Towards the end of August, we released two M&H casks, one X-Isla, one X-Bourbon. X-Isla, about half the outturn of the X-Bourbon. True. The X-Isla sold out lickety split, took just a few days the ex-bourbon, because of the, the larger outturn there, we're proud to say we still have sitting on our website. So if so if you want if you're in the US and you want to partake in an MH ex-bourbon single cask for $95, yeah. it is sitting on our website. I love being able to say that, Joshua. We made a point of getting to this point where we have enough releases and enough sizes that we can keep pleasing people and yeah. not just be one and done on any given release day. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. You know, some people talk about the idea of, of its feast or famine, and we've never had anything beyond, I shouldn't say we never had, but, it, but in recent history, <laughs> it's been... A release comes and it goes within minutes, within a couple yep. hours, within a day, yep. and we're straight yep. back to, to famine and there really is no feast. We're now at the feast part where it's not just, you know, 50, 60 bottles of this M&H left, but we've got, we still have some of our Beanley rum and we still have some of our Torridon, you know, blended whiskey and our Sheriff Muir blended whiskey and, and so on. So... Uh, yeah, check it out, singlecastnation.com, um, whether it's the M&H or some of the others. And, and we have that $15 flat rate shipping. So you get one bottle or six bottles, it's going to be the same rate. Um, <laughs> we definitely talked about that last episode. So with that in mind, can I bring us to the present? Uh, you're taking us to the future. Oh, I'm taking us to the future. What's the present, Jason? Is it present Jacob Marley? Bottles are available for sale on our website. Ah, list them out, Jason. I only li- I only listed some out. Sheriff Muir, bam. Beanley, bingo bango. 
Virginia Distillery Company. Whoop, whoop. Black Button. I know. M&H X Bourbon. Nailed it. Thank you. Beauty. Mic drop. <laughs> I'm, glad it's on a, I'm glad it's on an arm here, or I would have dropped it. <laughs> Can I go into Christmas Future now? Please. Okay. So Christmas Future involves our nine-year-old Deluane that spent a bit over eight years in Firstville Bourbon and was accidentally put into a Firstville <laughs> sherry cask. And, and people keep on asking, how, do, how does... How does one accidentally do that? And I said, oh, it's just easy. You you put Jason in charge of filling out spreadsheets. He'll make that happen any day, every day. <laughs> I tell you, 10 years, 10 years, and I haven't made that mistake. One year of having a re-racking program, and I've gone ahead and made that mistake. Shag one it, sheep. It's so, yeah. Oh, gosh, I, I, could say, I could say words here. You know how we tell people, like, if you look at various whiskey people's social media it looks so wonderful and it's so much to envy and then you hear our podcast and we talk about oh we were excited when the macmira samples came in and we selected casks Mm -hmm. and then we tell people the vast majority of our job is spreadsheet based and i spend so many hours of so many weekdays knee deep in spreadsheets Mistakes are inevitable. I've just never made a mistake that's taken a first fill bourbon <laughs> matured Daluin and finished it in a first fill sherry hogshead. Uh, the good news <laughs> is, it was delicious as first fill bourbon. <laughs> it was, and it fin- was absolutely cracking. We would have bottled it. And and here's something I, w- I want to say really quickly about that. You know, usually, not always, but usually finishing is done to. <laughs> fix an issue, right? You, not necessarily that it's a bad whiskey, but it's a whiskey that needs a bit more dimension to it, you know. So it so it becomes a bit more expressive, uh, and that's usually There's the why man I, in the company that's just adopted a re-racking program in the last year. <laughs> but my point is, you can put whiskey into a cask for finishing. It's not guaranteed that the finishing is going to do good things. We've got a couple of casks. In our in our inventory right now, that's been sitting in sherry. That's that we are not happy with at all. So we're just playing the waiting game to see when it turns around. So my point is, this could have been a really really bad mistake, but it started off in first fill bourbon, delicious, and then eleven months later, or ten months later, whatever the the amount was, in first fill yeah. sherry. Made it deliciouser, deliciouser uh, than than it even was. I think it made was. it delicious in a different way. Mm. Like it brought those dark fruits to bear upon yeah. first fill bourbon deliciousness, right? And so, I think it added a chapter to the story rather than rewriting the book. There you go. So is this a chapter to a story? Is is this, you know, Fellowship of the Ring becomes two towers? It's definitely not Matrix becomes Matrix Revolutions. No. Or, or no. Uh, yeah. Or, or Talk about ruining a good thing. Raiders of the Lost Ark becomes Temple oh. of Doom. No. Oh. No. You know what this is? Right. This is so, A New Hope yeah. becomes Empire Strikes Back. 
That's what it is, Jason. Anyway. Uh, declarative statement. Very declarative. <laughs> so the other whiskey, and by the way, that, that Dal Yuen, what's the, uh, what's the price on that one, Jason? 105. 105. Solid price. And how many bottles on that? 240. Beauty. And then the other whiskey that will be released alongside of that will be the first Paul John. Oh. Before you move away from this. Okay. Could I, could I read the truncated tasting note? Please do. Thank you. Warm, rich, and nutty with toffee, fruitcake, and drying oak notes. Mm. A slam dunk of a dram for the sherried whiskey lovers among us. Sorry for all the clinging and clanging. Just those those truncated notes got me a bit excited. So I kind of my my legs started shaking like a dog's leg shakes when it wants its uh, when you're scratching its butt. What I love about this truncated label note mm. is that invariably we have the number kind of thirty five words to play around with in the space about that's available on the label, and sometimes that comes down a wee bit, a word or two. Sometimes it goes up a word or two. This label note is 25 words, and it goes to show that mm. when you say what you came here to say, you get done. You just finish. Don't keep going. Just be done. 25 words. Boom. Slam dunk of a dram. So to make you done, I am going to talk about the Paul John. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I was being fresh. I'm very fresh today. Being very naughty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the other whiskey that we're releasing at the same time as the Deluane again on on September eighth, single cast nation U.S. online exclusive, is our first Paul John for the U.S. Ooh, ooh, there it goes. And this is a five year old uh, first fill bourbon, but it is peated Deluane, which is like a. It's almost like a. A smoky, sorry, did I say peated Deluane? I meant peated Paul John. So, so it's a peated Paul John, which makes it almost like a, it's like a smoked oatmeal cookie for me, Jason. Oatmeal raisin cookie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You need the raisins there. But it's that, it's that cinnamon, right? And it's that sweet brown sugar and oatmeal and the, the sort of um, deeper sweetness of the raisins coming through. So this one, again, five years old, 56.7% alcohol, and this is an Indian whiskey, so therefore the angel share is quite high. And so after five years, there was only 160 bottles remaining, uh, which, which is not a lot. And the, one of the reasons I grabbed the bottle is I got excited. You were, you were reading the truncated tasting notes for the Daluane. So I said, you know what? I'm going to read the truncated tasting this for the Paul John. But then when I look at the label, it says, and rightly so, this is one of our spirit of collaboration bottlings. So this is where we worked directly with the distillery to partner on these bottlings. So, so there are no truncated tasting notes to talk about. But yeah, I think a peated oatmeal raisin cookie is, is all you need to know. Yeah, the presentation of the grain is remarkable. Yeah. Really, yeah. it's a really wild. And then you get some of those tropical fruit notes kind of coming in and out and roundabout. The peat isn't 
overwhelming. It's certainly there. I think it's complementary. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's not Isla Pete, right? So it's not Correct. doing and any that's of what that. I was just about yeah. to say. Yep. So it's none yep. of that it's coastal a framing, stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a framing, more wood forward smoke. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So it's cracking, this, really the, cracking. This one's going to be 145. So uh, a bit more expensive than the Daluane. We understand that completely. But hey, if you, if you look around, Paul John single casks are around the same price. And the fact. If not more. If not more. And the fact of the matter is, dealing with logistics from India to Scotland to the US with air freighting in and global logistics. Things just cost money these days, and so we were pretty happy to 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 get our price right around where Paul John is doing their own single cast within the U.S. So, um, so there you go. You got any uh, other bits of news to add, or can we move on to the tasting of our Macmira? I would tease, as Jess did in the interview, that we have a Macmira coming down the line for ROW, the rest of the mm-hmm. world market. And we are working on that next release for the ROW, the rest of the world. And as, we, as we've mentioned previously, it's worth reiterating, uh, Canada is bringing in a host of cases uh, in anticipation for OND, the end of the year buying period. And so if you're one of our Canadian listeners, and I know there's many of you out there, you've got some product coming to market very shortly. Oh, it's so exciting being in Canada again and in such a great market. Our, our, our importers there are fantastic. Their clients are wonderful. 100%. Being able to work with our dear, dear friend uh, Graham Usher in, in his shop is, has been great. So so all of that Absolutely. is very cool. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm right there with you, Josh. I agree yep. wholeheartedly. Yep. Jess and Elijah work on Canada and they're, they're killing it. Our importer's killing it. Graham Usher's killing it. That's fantastic all the way around. Yep. Now that we have all of that business behind us, and, and I will call that business. I mean, it's it's fun talking mm-hmm. about it, but that really is the businessy end of things. I want to pour a little bit more Macmira because if I'm being honest, I finished what was in my glass. Uh, and I want to go over some gosh. of these notes. I've finished what was in my glass twice. Oops, that's another big pour. Twice on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently today is Sunday, even though it's not. <laughs> Oof, yeah, that's a that's a good pour. And I got I, lots of notes to share on that one. So I would suggest we keep this portion of the of the tasting a little shorter because we're going to be coming out with a tasting video that'll be a bit more in depth. Um, but you know, I just want to kind of tease everybody on this, if you wouldn't mind, Jason. Just as you mentioned, keeping this a little shorter than than we might normally would, our last episode featured a blind tasting uh, by us where, you know, I, I don't like to toot our own horn, but I think we did quite well. I'm not going to go too deep into spoiler mode here for any listener who hasn't heard it yet and they're maybe working their way backwards, but we got... A text. I got a text I got from Seabass. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I just haven't so read it C-Bass, yet. Now I'll read it. <laughs> right. Okay. So Seabass is behind blind barrels and we've been doing the blind tastings. And and he led with a compliment, which, you know, 
you know I like compliments, not necessarily when they're about Joshua, <laughs> but he led with fantastic interview with Madhu from Joshua. There you go. Yeah, I don't disagree. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it myself. And I said it on wax. I, I have did? committed to yeah, that position. I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. The opening man love has been a lot. And I have had other people reach out to talk about the opening man love. But hey, you and Madhu, you guys do you. I'm not going to harsh anyone's mellow. So the part Seabass continues with is, you guys crushed, and I will say here, the blind segment. I haven't oh. named anything. Seriously impressive. And I think the listeners will give you a pass on mistaking a barely legal blank for potentially being a different blank. <laughs> and then there's a winky face there. So as, as I said at the time, we need a win wherever we can get a win. Mm -hmm. So, so long as we don't misidentify our own SCN bottlings for something else, Ben Nevis, spoiler alert, um, I think we did pretty well that last time out. Um, I, I really, f the fact that we nailed the distillery, I'm just, I'm clinging on to that. So with that said about the last blind tasting, I, I wanted to give some context to what you were saying about us keeping this a little bit shorter and us doing our own tasting videos. Mm -hmm. Oof, mm -hmm. there's a treat for people. You can actually watch us taste whiskey and talk at great length about esoteric tasting notes. Indeed. So speaking of esoteric tasting notes, so first off, let's, oil. Let's, yeah, the color... I would call that a uh, an almost copper or bright copper. I wouldn't call it bourbon color, but it's it's definitely got some depth to it. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't go. Yeah, it's nowhere near bourbon as I know it. I would call it, it either copper or like deep brass. It's got kind of an olive oil kind of presence to mm. it as well. All right. Just the way it turns in the glass, oh, okay. as every yeah, as it, everybody can see. <laughs> well, it does have some gorgeous legs along the glass, so nice. It's going to be viscous. We know this. Um, on the, As ZZ Top said, it's got legs and it knows how to use them. The nose, for me, is a combination of straight-up barley. There's like some really good grain presence coming through, but there's you, you've got some of that some of that bourboniness coming in as well. There's a bit of toasted coconut. There's a bit of vanilla going on. But then you got things modifying it. There's almost like a melon, like a bright melon note, like a honeydew maybe. Do you know that since we covered soft, when Dan Grison wrote in to ask about soft, yeah, we've just done a, a bunch of tasting notes for the company and a bunch of labels for the company. And I have spent so much time thinking... Oh, I, I would describe that as soft. Oh, here's something else I would describe as soft. I've got soft on the brain and not mm. just because I had my 48th birthday over the summer. But this, I'm just thinking soft constantly. And as I'm sitting here with this McMira, it's so delightful on entry. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. it's, it's not aggressive. It's not abrasive. And I think that's one of the things for you and I, when we first heard... Uh, virgin oak mm -hmm. like okay would this be 
tight would this be a lot on the palate? Mm. And it's really not. It disperses its flavors very fairly across the palate and has this lovely softness of experience going on at the same time. Man, there's there's that me- I can't get past that melon note. At first I was getting it on the nose, but as I'm tasting the whiskey, it's coming through across the palate with with some added like almost a nuttiness coming through. Are you getting that melon or is it just me? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. No, okay. No, it's 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 part of that it's part of the brightness without it being sharp. Yeah. It's yeah. a roundness to it. And I think melon is a great quality. Yeah, that that is a softer sweetness coming through. That that right? yeah, there you go. That that's a good way. That's a good way of putting it. Right. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of coconut. I think you said coconut on the nose. Yeah, for Did sure. Did you say coconut on the palate as yep. well? Yep, toasted, toasted coconut. Continuing. It's almost like the slivers, mm. right? Those toasted coconut sliver not the shredded like almost dusty stuff, but the actual slivers that you get. Oh, that mm. sits there really easy. Really easy. There's a real honeyed quality coming through too. As it sort of transitions from the from the palate to the finish, you get this honey kind of quality coming through. And then some of that and I'm kind of reminded of our Paul John here, but some of those baking spices coming through. You get the you get the honey, but then you get a bit of that nutmeg and a little bit of ground ginger, very subtle. I wouldn't call this spicy, but it's subtle for me those baking spices manifest towards the back of the palate mm-hmm. as it transitions into the finish yeah hmm. um it, but it's also interesting in in this cast strength of of 47.4 i'm reminded of our oishis and we've, we've talked about oishis in, in different places you know natural cast strength at, at 40 a natural cast strength at 42 43 mm. And and how that affects the drinking of it. So even though you haven't diluted it down, you haven't watered out those lipids, mm. right? Instead, mm-hmm. you've you've still got all the oils, you've still got all the flavors, but much less of the alcohol coming with it. And you and I talk constantly. We have no issue with with sixty six percent, sixty percent, fifty percent, forty seven point four. This. This would be a lovely little breakfast dram. This oh, would be yeah. a nice little start to it, maybe with your oatmeal, maybe with your Paul John oatmeal mm. raisin cookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Put it in with your cereal. Um, there's, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking back to our original, our original comments around selecting this, and this didn't come out so much to my memory as it is now on the finish, the oak presence grows. Mm. The oak really comes out without being astringent, but it's enough to tell you like, this is virgin oak, right? This is charred oak. There's this, this didn't hold anything else. So you're getting a good whack of oak without that astringency, but you're getting some of that spice coming through and some of that warmth coming through. I get kind of a, a chocolate quality mm. as well, mm-hmm. um, kind of a, across the palate and mm-hmm. then through the finish as well. It's been interesting. Uh, Jess and I were having this conversation just the other day about the flavometer. Yeah. And oftentimes 
I think of the flavometer a, a bit like, uh, oh gosh, why am I blanking? An equalizer, right? I, I think of our flavometer like an equalizer mm. um, for music, right? Where unless you'd really dialed up the volume, you really wouldn't get all of the bars on your digital equalizer oh, yeah. being level. But they would, they would take on a shape, a parabola, if you will. Ooh. And that, thank you. And that, that parabola would tell a story. Someone needed a dictionary today. I love it. Yeah, this is, this is, these are not prepared words. Let me just be, you're just I'm not naming reading from songs a sheet right from now. Tool. That's it. What's a tool song? <laughs> parabola. There you go. Right. And, and that, that parabola would, would tell you a story about the music. And, and one of the things that, that Jess and I were discussing was, when we're kind of looking at the flavometer, if you were to just simply turn the flavometer on its side, and I know that it's de rigueur to put bottles of whiskey on their side right now. Yeah. Um, so far, Single Cast Nation has not followed suit. But if you put the bottle on its side and you see that, that flavometer kind of reaching up into the sky instead of going left to right, I think there are moments when a whiskey will tell a story of being rich and oaky, or floral and sweet, right? But it'll, it'll, it'll go up and it'll come down, it'll go up and it'll come down, it'll look a little bit like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. The reason I go into this is because looking at the flavometer on our Mac Mira, the dial has been turned up and there's less of a rising falling parabola on here than we encounter in other labels. And I, and I implore yeah. our listeners to... Go, go find a single cast nation bottle or, or two or three, hell, buy them all and, um, and have a look at the flavometer on them. This one is showing four for floral, five for sweet, seven for rich, five for nutty, six for spicy, mm-hmm. four for earthy. Those, those are notes really dialed up. That volume has been turned up on those. Then it falls back, one for smoky. Maybe there's a bit of, of barrel char in here. And then back up for four on Oki. Yeah. It's a pretty pronounced experience. It really is. And and as you were going through that, I was thinking to myself, wait a second, why is it four on the floral? We did that for a reason. When I went back to the nose, now I remember what you and I said almost in unison. We said, it's like a summer meadow. Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's that summer grass, it's the wildflowers, it's that that baking heat that kind of activates all those smells and the humid <laughs> air. Like it's it's all of it, and that brings out that floral quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the dial is up on this one, and yet, like turning up an album that then blows out your eardrums. This at forty seven four has those pronounced notes without any increased alcohol that could potentially blow out your palate, not quite your eardrums. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That 47.4 allows this cast to really sing and to reiterate, we have not diluted it down to that. No. Nope. That is how it came out of cask, mm-hmm. like an Oishi. Mm-hmm. I keep, I always say Oishi because I, I really am a big fan of Oishi and I, and I have a lot of bottles from Oishi. Fukano is the same, am I right in saying that? Fukano yeah. has the... Yeah, the forty something ABVs exactly right because the process is the same where where they're taking every bit of the distillate, including you know the the heads to the tails everything. There's no cuts whatsoever, and the average 
ABV of that of that alcohol when when you're done distilling ends up being around 45, 46%, and they just pop that into the cask. And so there's never going to be an Oishi or Fukano whiskey that will be above 46. Like the ABV is just kind of going to go down, up and down, but, you know, slowly on a downwards trajectory, hence the lower ABV. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's funny. I, I like Fukano plenty. I don't own nearly as much Fukano as I do Oishi. And then Oishi is the one that I return to and, and always reference. And that totally makes sense because Oishi focuses on the ex-brandy casks and ex-sherry casks. And then they do mm. other things, right? Ex-Isla, Port, etc. Where Fukano tends to focus on new chard oak or ex-Fukano mm. casks, sometimes red wine. And your palate mm. doesn't always go towards that. Mm-hmm. You, you like mm-hmm. the... You like the X share, you like the X brandy, you like the X, you know, Isla casks, etc. So it makes sense. The Mizunara, yeah, absolutely right? blew yeah. me yeah. away. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. To be honest with you, since we're since we're always honest on the podcast, I wasn't a big fan of the X Isla. The X Isla Oishi was. I'm so glad you said that. Oh, can we talk about this just really quickly? Sure. You had the first iteration of the X Isla cask which I have always been honest about. I've never been a fan. It just, it didn't hit. I, I just, yeah. for my palate, I didn't think it worked. I told Chris Udy that, who put it together. And I say to people, do you like this? Awesome, I'm so glad you like it. It doesn't work for me, but I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I, have, I have since tried other iterations of it and uh-huh. think it's cracking. Oh, oh my gosh, it's gotten so good. The Isla character really comes through on the newer versions, where the Isla character I don't think came through properly in, in the first version. There was a peated quality that came through quite nicely, yeah. but the yeah. Isla element seemed to be lost for me. And in the newer ones, boom, it's right there, and it's and it works really nicely. I'll, I'll get I'll get oh, you a sample of some of the new stuff. I have a half a bottle. So when we see Listeners, each other, yeah. you heard it here first. Neither <laughs> one of us will, will remember this five seconds after we hit stop on the recording. Remember what? <laughs> next time I'm at, next time I'm at your house. What was it I was going to pour for you? All the things. Just start oh, now. Please, just keep it going. We'll just go left to right, and uh, and we'll wrap this up in about three months. <laughs> anyway, back to Macmira, <laughs> the thing we're selling. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. <sighs> Listen, I, I I really think that this is a cracking whiskey. I've had my share my share. I've had my fair share of Macmiras over the years. Samples here, bottles there, and uh, and have really enjoyed watching the evolution and the ride that they've gone on. I think they've I think they've finally landed for what they're doing now. It was nice to see the work in progress, and I and I think they've landed. And and this one is is just an absolute cracker of a, of a cask, and I'm so proud to have it. Well, and, and to get a 2008 cask and get that kind of McMira history mm. um, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So yeah, that that's a cracker. You would pour that quite happily. For any friend that comes over, oh. you would start with it. You wouldn't build up to it, even though it's virgin oak. You you would start with it 
uh, at that 47.4 and I think oh, that softness of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it is soft. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be misled by the cask. I would instead go with the alcohol on it. You know, you know what that reminds it. me of? It reminds me a bit of our, not, not specifically flavor-wise, but it reminds me a bit of our 24-year-old pre-fire bourbon where the ABV was a bit lower. I think it was like, I actually think it was 47.4. I think it was a similar ABV. Um, but what was so nice about it is it presented all of those big bourbon flavors in a slightly softer format with that wonderfully spicy finish to it. What did you think the strength was on the bourbon? I thought that it was 47.4. You're exactly correct. Look at that. Two, two whiskeys at 47.4 and I'm getting the same. And that's how of, I know. Oh, that's how you know. All right. I'll pour, I'll pour a little bit because... I'm going to pour us a little bit to get us out of here because we do need to be yes. uh, vamoosing. Yes. Yes, we do. But there's a vinyl seal going back in a bottle. Yeah, I, I just, I liked, I liked the way you talked about that. That is wild that it, they're both 47.4, though. That's, that's right, really and, crazy. But they both... And, and that was I, not by design. That was not by design. Honest, it, that know, was not by design. That was both the natural, you know, the cast strength on, on the both of them. What I like about the ABV is that you're presented with full-on flavor, just like you had said when you talked about the flavometer, and it's almost like mm -hmm. the dial mm -hmm. is turned all the way up. Mm -hmm. But you're presented with that flavor in an ABV that's just easy. Mm. And naturally easy, right? Natural cask strength. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that's, that's a, a special bourbon. whiskey. Holy crap. <laughs> oh, I, oh. I, I, haven't, I haven't popped a pour of that in maybe a year. Mm. Mm -hmm. that's, in all honesty, in all honesty with the listeners, it, it, the open bottle is what? It's about two-thirds. It's two-thirds. Bourbons, I think... And I'm at one-third. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. I've got two thirds left. You've got one third left. I bourbon's not a thing I pour of an evening. It's not a thing I think to reach for. But when I have friends come it's over, it's a share. Yeah, even, yeah, yeah. Even even Scotch loving friends, I will often pour them a bourbon mm -hmm. and often have a chat around that. And and obviously this kind of special Heaven Hill. Oh, <laughs> and obviously this kind of special undisclosed Kentucky bourbon. Oh, it's so heavenly. Is, uh, it's so heavenly. Listen, Joshua, I'm going to stand Joshua, on that hill. Joshua, I'm going to die on that hill. Joshua, I may die on that hill, Joshua, Jason. What? What did I say? You, you may die on that hill, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're not, we're not here to talk no, about no, whiskey. No, we're, not. we're just getting excited about light, right? We could just keep on going and say, oh, that reminds me of that whiskey. And then, <laughs> listen, we, we, we do need to get out of here. So uh, I just, Jason, thanks to you as always for being my partner in basically everything. Thanks to Jess for uh, for getting out there and doing her first solo interview. Yep, tickety boo. And and to Richard at McMira for being her first uh, interviewee. Uh, and of course to our listeners, um, we 
I almost said we wouldn't have a podcast without you, but the fact of the matter oh, we is would. we definitely would have a podcast without maybe, you. Maybe because not, Maybe not six seasons worth of podcasts. We might have given up <laughs> at some point with no listeners. Yeah, but it's too much fun just sitting, chatting, talking. But so for those of you that do listen, we know there is a good number out there. We truly thank you. We, we, we thank each and every one of you from the bottom of our heart. So let us get out of here on that. Jason, listeners, Jess, Richard, I raise my glass to you all, and I say, cheers, big ears. I represent that comment.